Well, folks, let's go ahead and head back to Romans 1. Romans 1. We have been walking through this uh, a number of months. Uh, it's an important passage. Um, Father, thank you for this evening. We praise you for your word, the songs uh, that men wrote, women wrote, that we can sing about your word and reflect about you. And then we can come to your word and reflect on your inspired word that you have given to us to not just educate us with head knowledge, but to warm our hearts. That we might be able to understand you accurately and then to be able to walk away from your word and to get a grasp a little bit of how we should operate throughout the week, walking with your Holy Spirit in Christ's likeness through the instructions of your word. Tonight, we're blessed to have it, and I'm thankful for the privilege to be able to give it out tonight. I pray that you would encourage help, teach, and maybe just uh, reintroduce some of these truths that they've known, but to continue to challenge them in a contemporary way with this text as never before. We thank you tonight now, in Jesus' name our Savior, amen. The major point of our text tonight in Romans is that when Men and women persistently abandon God. God will abandon them. Yes, I know that is a mouthful. And I know you you better back that up tonight. I will do my best from the text. When God abandons men to their own devices, His divine protection actually is partially withdrawn. And when that happens, men not only become more vulnerable to their destructiveness of Satan, but also suffer the destruction that their own sin works in and through them. So tonight, I want to move forward and I want to look at the abandonment of God. Let her see the result is the abandonment of God. And I want to look at number one. The result of God's abandonment, I want to look at number one, the core of man's sin. If you're in Romans chapter 1, I want to go to verses 24 and 25, please. 24 and 25. Let's take a look at these two verses. Wherefore, God also, and I want you to see these next three words, and actually say these next three words with me tonight, please, out loud. Ready? gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into what, folks? A lie and worshiped and served who? The creator or who? The creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The word wherefore 
refers back to the reasons Paul has just talked about and what I've talked about the last couple months in verses 18 through 23. And then, although God reject, man rejected God in verse 19 through 20, God revealed himself in 19 through 20, man rejected him in verse 21, then what happens is he rationalizes his rejection in verse 22, and then he creates a substitute God of his own making in verse 23. And because man abandoned God, God abandoned men, or as the text says, God gave them up. This, uh, this divine abandonment is actually, folks, probably the most sobering and fearful passage in the entire book of Romans to understand what God is doing. And let me say that this is not just some kind of timeless, capsuled text that when Paul wrote this to the Romans and to the churches at that point, it wasn't like it was a done deal and then it would never happen again. This is a timeless text not an uh, not a untimeless or a capsuled situation never to happen again. Uh, the words gave them up. It is actually in the English that's actually one Greek word. It's one Greek word, this English word, and it is really an intense verb. This English word gave them up. It's an intense verb. In the New Testament it is used of giving one's body to be burned. It's used three times of Christ actually giving himself up to death. It is used in a judicial sense of men being committed to prison or to judgment and of rebellious angels being delivered to the pits of darkness to give them up. Now, God's giving up sinful mankind has a dual purpose to it, folks. A dual purpose to it. Letter A, it has a dual purpose. The first part of it is indirect. It's an indirect purpose to it, giving them up, abandonment of God. In an indirect purpose, God gave them up how? All he simply had to do was he just simply withdrew his restraining and protective hand. That's all he had to do indirectly. He, uh, uh, to, to allow the consequences of sin to take its inevitable, destructive course, that's all he had to do when it comes to giving them up, to abandoning them. Indirectness. Sin degrades man. It debases the image of God in which he has made. It strips him of dignity, peace of mind, and a clear conscience. Sin destroys personal relationships. Sin destroys marriages, it destroys families, it just destroys cities, it destroys nations, and folks, it destroys churches also. Sinful people are not concerned about their sin, but only about the pain from the unpleasant consequences sin brings. It's like, I'm not disturbed about my sin, but I'm disturbed about the painful consequences that my sin brings about. Someone has said that sin would have fewer takers if the consequences were immediate. For example, 
Let me give you an example. Many people are greatly concerned about venereal diseases, aren't they? I mean, serious, folks. Come on. We're all adults here tonight. We know that people are out there running around thinking about having sex, and they are concerned about venereal disease, aren't they? They're concerned about it. But they don't want to avoid it by restraining from sexual promiscuity. Instead of saying yes to God's standards of moral purity, they attempt to remove the consequences of their impurity. What do they do? There's all kinds of things that they can do. They turn to counseling. They turn to medicine. They turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to all kinds of different ways to escape what cannot be escaped except by listening to God talk about how really they can have their sin removed by Him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you and I know this. Unless, I mean, if you were saved as a wee little one, but many of us, how many of you were saved uh, after 10 years old? Uh, Quite a few of you. I'm just curious now. I'm, the curiosity is really coming at me now. How many of you saved after 15? How about after 20? You know, the higher it gets, the fewer hands it gets because the older we get, the harder hearts man has. It's, it's amazing. Not all of God's wrath is future. Venereal disease is actually, folks, if you've never thought about it, it is actually a form of indirect wrath on sexual promiscuity. It really is. God doesn't have to do anything. All he has to do is withdraw himself and let that person indulge in their sexual promiscuity and they receive the indirect abandonment of God. And they wallow in their sin. Now let me say this. Understand this. Because I don't want you to think, man, this guy is just all about sin and wrath and abandonment of God. And understand this really clear tonight. The divine abandonment of men to their sin here in this text is not talking about eternal abandonment. Do you hear me? It's not talking about eternal abandonment here in Romans chapter 1. Folks, as long as people are alive, as long as people can take a breath, they can be saved, can't they? What does Romans 10, 13 say? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Shall be saved. Yeah. That's the good news of God's grace in which Paul develops later in the book of Romans. Right? He develops that later as he goes through. He starts out with the damnation of mankind. The first few chapters, he builds up, clear up to 6 and and 8. He's given encouragement through the Holy Spirit, but he develops that. Despite God's righteous wrath against sin, God is long-suffering towards sinners, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? 2 Peter chapter 3, 9. His heart is that people would bow a knee to his son Jesus Christ in salvation. Now, it's interesting, I love this, 
Paul gives a list of sins close to that of Romans 1 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It's very close to this text in Romans 1. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not what? Okay, now how, how hard do you have to study that to figure that out? You don't. That's pretty clear, right? The unrighteous are not going to what? They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. That's that. Pastor Carl didn't come up with that. I didn't come with that tonight. That's what God says in his word. The unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And who does that include? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, fornicators, any like sexual idolatry, adulterers, feminists. By the way, does, look up here at me. Without looking at any other translation, what does effeminate mean? Does anybody know what effeminate means? Okay, you can look at, if you have another. Men. Men, men wanting a homosexual lifestyle. That's what the word means. Men wanting to have or to practice homosexuality. That's what the word means here. Nor abasers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. Shall what? Shall these type of people including homosexuality, sexual promiscuity, per sexual perversion. These type of people do not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, there's a tremendous verse coming up. Look what Paul says to remind the Corinthian believers because, listen folks, there were a whole lot of Corinthian believers that were saved out of homosexuality. And folks, there are a lot of people that have been involved in homosexuality that are in a church of God worshiping Jesus Christ and having victory today. So Paul gives this list like Romans 1, and he says they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, these type of people. And he reminds the Corinthian believers in verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. This is a great verse. And such... He's talking to the Corinthian believers. He's like, here's the church. Here's the Corinthian church. And he's preaching to them. And actually, this is God's word being penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, and such were, past tense, right? Such were some of you, Paul says. Such were some of you. But now he says what? You're washed. You are sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So he says that, hey, people that live this kind of lifestyle, that have this type of sin in their hearts, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. But you were in that place. Some of you were in that place. Some of you were partaking in that type of sin. And God has forgiven you and saved you and you're washed and justified and you're serving Jesus Christ now. So that tells us, man, 
turn off the self-righteousness because we've been saved by grace and we're not in that sinful lifestyle. There's other sins that we need to deal with, isn't there, folks? Hey, these people are getting saved. There's hope. Just like there was hope for you and I to get saved, whatever God pulled you out of, the difficulties in your life, there is tremendous hope for these folks. There's tremendous hope for the transgender. We just can't be afraid of it and shy away from it, and we've got to love them. That's more for the application side here in a few weeks. We're almost there. Folks, it is sin that makes salvation necessary and that God and that makes God's offer of salvation through Christ so gracious, right? You understand how 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 great grace is tonight is because you've experienced grace if you're born again tonight, if Christ has saved you. So indirectly, God gave them up how? Do you remember? How did God give them up indirectly? You're right, Shirley. All he had to do was step back and, and just, just let them have it. Just simply withdraw his restraining and protective hand, allowing the consequences of sin to take its inevitable, destructive course. You know, we, I, don't know I don't know how much we see AIDS anymore today, but you can count on that being an indirect bainment of God. Because of sexual promiscuity, I, I don't. I should have researched that a little bit. I don't know if we've got that pretty well licked, or if it's still pretty strong. And probably should have looked that up a little bit. But that's an indirectness of God giving them up. Um, the dual, the dual purpose of God's abandonment or giving them up. Here's the the second part of it, and you probably could guess it. Direct purpose, folks. God gave up rebellious mankind by specific acts of judgment. And actually, we could take tonight and we could, everybody could take a turn and you could probably guess one. Um, The Bible's filled with accounts of divine wrath being directly and supernaturally poured out on sinful man. Um, For example, right? Noah's, the flood in Noah's day upon sinful mankind and then uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, those were not, as you walk out here tonight, and you're thinking about God abandoning man in their sin, and God giving them up in Romans 1 in this type of situation, this is not indirect, this is direct wrath, direct abandonment from God. Directly. Um, Supernatural, you could say, expressions of God's judgment on gross and unrepentant sin. Folks, God often allows men to go deeper and deeper and deeper into sin in order to drive them to despair and to show them their need for Him. Now, we come back to our text in verse 24, and if you're not there, if you could run back there in verse 24, it'll be helpful for you to be able to look at verse 24. And we have to ask a question now tonight, folks. We have to do some thinking and have to ask a question. Why did God give them up and abandon men to their sin? In verse 24, why did he do that? 
And the answer that you're seeing is it's because of the lust of their own hearts toward uncleanness or impurity. Folks, we know that mankind's lostness is not determined by the outward circumstances of their lives, but by the what? The inner condition of their heart. Right? A person's sin begins with who? His wife? His children? Who? Himself, right? Himself. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart, your heart, my heart from birth, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately, what? Wicked. Who can know it? God knows it. Folks, the reason this country is going the direction of anti-God and anti-Bible is because of the lust of their inner hearts toward impurity. They lust for impurity. The lost person in the United States, they lust for impurity. They do. You and I did. We still have a hard time with it as believers, don't we, folks? Mankind rejects God because their preferences or their lusts are for their own way. Here's God's way, but they don't want God's way. They want their way. And it's displayed in outward external actions in a country, in a city, in a town, in individuals, in families, in marriages. Um, the Greek word for lust is epithumia which can refer to any desire, but usually that word refers to more of a a wrong, a carnal desire, not a good desire. Like folks, it's good to desire ice cream or popcorn. Uh, Some of you you aren't popcorn lovers or ice cream lovers, are you? Um, Most of the time in the Word of God, this word desire is used in a wrong, lustful way. Speaking about believers, we're not left out. Speaking about believers as well as unbelievers, James chapter 1 verse 14 says, but every man is tempted. You and I, everybody here in Little River, all around the surrounding area, believer, unbeliever, every man is tempted to desire. Every man is tempted how? When he is drawn away of Shirley's own lust, right? Somebody else's own lust, right? My wife's own lust. No. My lust. Your lust, the text says. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Shirley, I'm probably picking on you because I hear you most tonight. Okay. You'll forgive me when in Sunday school, right? Even Christians are tempted to desire and lust after their own sin above God's holiness. Now, what is the effect of man's rebellious, sin-willed uncleanness? From verse 24. Go back to your text and look at verse 24. What is the effect? Their bodies. It has an effect on their bodies. That their bodies might be dishonored. When people seek to glorify 
their own ways and to satisfy their bodies through shameful indulgence and sexual and other sins, their bodies along with their souls are dishonored. Folks, we sexually abuse one another. We economically abuse one another. We criminally abuse one another. We verbally abuse one another. A common saying in the New Testament was, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. And Paul says that some Christians use that to justify sexual immorality, comparing eating to what? Sexual indulgence. So both, what, food and sex, were claimed to be merely biological functions, which could be used however one might choose. However, Paul told the Christians at Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, he says, Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And Paul goes on to explain the passage, the, the sin of sexual immorality is not just against the Lord, but it's also against the body. He says in verse 18, he says, flee what? Flee fornication or sexual immorality. Flee from it. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. And that is Paul's point in our passage today. The body that indulges in sexual ungodliness is itself dishonored. It is debased. It is disgraced. It is degraded. And folks, I'm trying to lay out to you, and it's not that hard to see. All you have to do is open your eyes up in the morning and crawl out of bed And the world around you, you cannot get away from it, nor should you. God has saved us to not take part in what the world is doing, but to be in and working and serving and being a difference in the world. And what, and, 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 and what we're seeing, that is what happens to everything that Paul is saying about the abandonment of God, the wrath of God, directly, indirectly. That is what happens to individuals, and that is what happens to nations who change or exchange the truth of God for a lie. And you can consistently seeing them shelf the word of God for a lie in the United States. Consistently. So, having suppressed God's truth and unrighteousness, verse 18... They've suppressed it. They don't want to hear about the truth. They don't want to accept it. Rebellious nations, what do rebellious nations do? They do everything they can from the top down, folks, to submit to untruth or a lie. Now, you don't have to, you can go home and answer it yourself tonight what our nation is doing. The basic divine truth that fallen man holds down, covers, or suppress is that of God's very existence. They don't want to have to deal with God and being in control of their lives. And therefore, His right and demand to be obeyed, to be honored and glorified, they don't want that to happen in their life. And folks, it's bad enough. It's bad enough and expected when lost people in a nation suppress the truth and believe a lie, right? 
That's bad enough, right? You look at a nation and you're like, that whole nation, they're God rejectors. I mean, it's like um, um, after the Spurgeon era, England just, they pretty much boarded up the churches and they just became a dead country. It, it's bad enough to expect it when lost people of a nation suppress the truth and believe a lie. But tragically, as in the Corinthian church of Paul's day, many people today who claim the name of Christ have accepted the same worldview of untruth. People in churches all over, people that would call themselves Christians, maybe some Christians have just caved in and said, it's too much, it's too hard. I'm tolerating same-sex marriage. I'm tolerating it. It's just too hard. So the end result is that when people turn from God and His truth, and if that's what we're seeing in this nation, the result is, Paul goes on to say, that they then... This is what they then do from the text. They worshiped and they served who? The creature more than the creator. And I'll just let you answer these questions tonight. Do we see in the United States people worshiping the creature more than the creator? Paul probably, unable to continue discussing such vile things, he actually inserts a doxology about God, the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen, he says. And so Paul probably, he couldn't resist adding that refreshing thought in this filth he was describing. He's like, I'm... Ah! And you know, you know how God used them. I mean, he used these men. He used their characters. He used Peter. He used Paul. Different characters. They, they penned his inspired word. But Paul was probably so relieved as he's walking through this text. And his heart is so grieved. And finally, he inserts a doxology here. Because, folks, it just gets worse. It gets worse as we come back the next time and look at this text. It gets worse. Folks, our nation might not be full-blown Romans 1 yet. But I would say it is sure heading that direction. Fast. Fast, the whole government, not the whole agenda of the government, but one of the top priorities of the government is protecting those that would suppress God's truth, those that would suppress God, and those that would insert a lie or insert anything other than what is not God's truth. So when we ask the question, who's right, God or man, our government trickling right on down through the highest office, right on down through, is saying, man's right, not God. And so we want to say, no, God has always been right. God is right. His word is right. And so we want to pray for our president. 
We want to pray for our vice president. We want to pray for our judges and mayors of not just the red states, the Republican states, the Democrat states. We want to pray for them all. We want to pray for them all. We want to pray that God gets a hold of their hearts. We want to pray for our countries around us. We want to pray for our cities, our little neighborhoods. I'm learning there are not allotments or neighborhoods down here. We want to pray for people around us. God can get a hold of their heart and he can show them this is really what's right, not man's word. Folks, if we're heading towards a full-blown Romans 1, the result is that God will abandon individuals and he will abandon nations to their sin. And we'll actually spend one more night finishing up the explanation of our text here in Romans 1, 18 through 32. We'll spend one more night finishing up that text. And then we'll probably go for just a couple nights on, folks, talking about our responsibility and how we respond to what is going on in our nation because we cannot just bury our head in the sands as Christians. We can't. There's way too much at stake. Two Wednesdays ago when I was teaching on this, I had just found out the, the day before that uh, there was a pastor in this area, this immediate area within uh, half an hour, 45 minutes, that was being enticed to turn to a homosexual relationship. It's in our world. It's in our lives. It's in our families. And so... God wants to work His grace in people's lives. He wants to work His grace in this nation's life. It's pretty sobering, it's pretty serious, but the challenge is great, greater than ever before. And really, He wants us to be up for it. He wants to encourage us and build us up and cheer us up, not as a cheerleader, but as a servant of God. He wants us to be meat for the Master's use. In this season, in our season, we're born in this season of time for a reason. He has saved you in this season of time for a reason. So be meat for the Master's use this week. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you again for Romans 1. Like you, you do. You're, you're a great Heavenly Father. You're the perfect Heavenly Father, you warn your children, you warn people, and at the same time, you love them so much that you call for them to come and bow a knee to you in salvation. You sent your son to die, the greatest rescue mission this world will ever know. You sent your son to redeem and rescue. And such were some of those tonight in this room. And such were many around this world in sinful lifestyles like myself. And you saved us. You justified us. You cleansed us. You redeemed us to serve you and to glorify you. And so, Father, there's a great mission today to live out Christ-likeness in our lives, in our bodies, in our hearts, externally, internally. And Father, we can only do that through your strength this week. 
we can do all things through Christ, your Son, who strengthens us this week. Praise you for that strength. We praise you for that encouragement. We praise you for that joy to be able to go out and be salt and light in this world. We thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen.